So last night we jumped into the idea of fear. And we're all prone to fear in some way, shape, or form. Fear of a test. Fear of a paper that's due next week. Fear of the final that's coming up. Fear of an internship or lack of internship. Fear of getting a job, not getting a job. All of those fears. We also saw that glimmer of hope. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on me. Tonight, though, I'm going to talk about what I think is probably the greatest fear that every single one of us have. And the best way I can explain it is we fear that we are going to waste our life. That we are going to look back at the end of our life and we're going to go, did I do enough? Did I live enough? Did I matter enough? Did I count enough? Did I experience enough? Did I mean enough? We fear failing at life. We don't know what winning really is, but we know we don't want to lose. And so, can we fail? So tonight, really, the idea is, how do you not fail at life? This isn't a TED Talk, though. It's going to be a Bible lesson, hopefully. So I want us to shift our mindset to something that has been uh, wrestling and reverberating within me for the last six months. About six months ago, I was in uh, the book of Leviticus or so in my Bible reading plan. And I got to Leviticus 1, and it talks about these offerings where these bulls and rams are put on a fire to be burned up completely for the Lord. You get no meat off of this barbecue. For people that don't eat meat, that's a hard thing. We talked about it a couple months back about it looks like a great waste, but it's of great worth because they are giving up something to God as a sacrifice to him, saying, God, will you see us as honorable? Will you cleanse us? Will you take this substitute? And as I was working through that, this idea of pleasing God came up. And I've been wrestling through over the last few months. Some of you have come to my office and we've talked and I've shared this with you. It's the rubric in which I have been analyzing my life. Am I pleasing God? See, you can ask it in every phase of life. Am I pleasing God with the way I spend time with Him? Is my devotional time pleasing to Him? Can, can I please Him when I was just flippantly flipping through and reading? When I just sped read a chapter so I could check it off on my devotional list? When I was just writing a few notes down so I could move on and then get to something more important that I think about? Am I pleasing God with the way that I worship Him, the way that I seek Him, the way that I pray for Him, pray to Him, or my lack of prayers to Him? But you don't just have to do it in godly things. Am I pleasing God in the way that I am a husband? Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Do I revere and respect my wife? Do I remain faithful? Do I love? Do I care? Do I cherish? Do I champion my wife? Am I pleasing God in my work? Do I work hard in all that I do? Do I work honorably and honestly? Do I do good work or do I waste time? Do I fudge numbers? Do I seek the good of those around me, my classmates, my workplace, my co-workers? Or am I just getting through? Do I please God in how I treat my friends? Do I encourage and equip them? 
Do I love them or do I hear their needs and I just move on and let it stop at that? Am I selfless? Am I sacrificial? Am I pleasing God with how I use social media? Who I follow, what I like, what I choose to spend my time on? Am I pleasing God in the jokes that I tell and how I treat my neighbors and how I interact with those when I am out shopping? Am I pleasing God with how I spend my money? At the times I don't spend my money. Am I pleasing God? I think you can ask this question all the time. After a date, after a worship service, after a test, after a Bible study, after times with friends, and after times alone. Did you please God in that hour? Did you please God in that class? Did you please God at that lunch? Did you please God when you were around those people? And as I began to ask that question, I realized that it changes the whole scope of what I am doing because now I'm not living my life just to avoid sin, but I'm living my life to please God. There's a huge difference. See, the Pharisees avoided sin really, really well. <laughs> but Jesus didn't really like their lifestyle very much. Matthew 23, put there one day and read, Oh, woe to you, you hypocrites. You follow the rules to avoid sin, but you don't actually know what you're doing or care about what you're doing or care about those that you're doing it around. So where do we get this idea of pleasing God? First, we see it in Leviticus 1, 13. This burnt offering going up to the Lord, the aroma of that charcoal fire that is being uh, roasting a ram or a bull it says the aroma is pleasing to God. Uh, that's one of the first places we see it. We see it in Genesis, but I love that instance in Leviticus. We also see it in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. It'll come up on the screen. Through him, talking about like the Holy Spirit. And, uh, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And what does it say in verse 16? Don't neglect to do good or to share to others what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. But it's not just these verses about worship where it comes out. No. Jesus, Matthew 3, is going to be baptized by John out in the Jordan. John's like, no, 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 I shouldn't be baptizing you. He said, just do it. we got to do this. This is what's going to happen. Okay. So, so he gets to be baptized. And then this voice from heaven, the clouds open up. This voice from heaven comes down. Matthew 3, 17. And what's it say? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Think about what Jesus has done. All he's done is moved around a lot because Herod's trying to kill him. Okay, He hasn't been in the wilderness for 40 days. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't healed the sick or the lame. He hasn't uh, done miracles of 5,000 feedings or walking on water. Or calming storms. He hasn't done any of that yet. And yet God is pleased with him. We see it again in Matthew 17. The transfiguration. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are there. Only three disciples get to be a part of this process. And what is this voice of heaven? It says the exact same thing. This is my son. Let me flip there to get it. Because I don't have it written down. I can just read it like this. This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Jesus in John 8 verse 28 says, this is how I spend my life 
pleasing God. It says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own accord, but I speak just as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. If the goal of Jesus on earth is to please God, why would I have any other goal for my life? Jesus wasn't just trying to avoid sin so he could be that perfect sacrifice. He, he wasn't kind of like on, on ice, like, okay, i got to mosey my way through this life. I need to limit my interactions so then I have less temptations and other opportunities to sin and so I can be perfect because I have to keep all this. No, his goal and his aim was to please God first and foremost. And along the way, he lived a sinless, righteous life. So how in the world does pleasing God work with the fear that we talked about last night? Hebrews 11, kind of the key verse of today, is this. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The Him there is God, by the way. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11 is a very famous chapter. That recalls all the famous people of the Old Testament and how they live out in faith. It speaks of Noah who built a boat when everybody else was going, it's not even raining, bud. It speaks of Abraham who moves his entire family uh, thousands of miles away with this hope of a son, even in his old age, with a barren wife. It talks of uh, Moses who leaves the palace and all of his pleasures to go and to be a shepherd of people that, are, that were slaves but now are wandering in the wilderness. These are people who lived by faith. And what does it say at the very beginning? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God, but you don't want to live in faith. We want to honor God. We want to do what God says. We want to live for Him. And yet we want to control every step along the way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I am a people pleaser. Even at this retreat, as I sit and talk with people, I go over in my head, how did that conversation go? Are they going to think more highly or less highly? Are they going to be more, uh, are they going to be uh, appreciative of that? Or are they going to be disappointed in me because I said that? I want to please my parents and go, man, I hope that they are proud of me, that they look at what I'm doing and that they affirm it and they are good with it. I hope that when Carlin, every Sunday I call her on the way home from church and I go, how do you think it went? Do you think I did okay? Was I communicating clearly? Now, Carlin's just a cheerleader, so like you don't get honest feedback. You just get told, yeah, that was great every time. And maybe that's what I need. Um, I don't need a Jordan who goes, well, actually, when you make this point, like, that was pretty weak. Uh, and I think you may be with proof texting here. You probably should have connected that a little bit more to the context in which it was sitting. And thankfully... She goes, hey, I appreciated that, and I was learning that I, I want to make people happy to please them. I'm terrified that I've upset, I've hurt, I've disappointed someone or somehow. My question to you is, who do you live to please? 
maybe the way you want to think about this is who do, who's well done do you want? Is it your parents? Maybe they've had such high expectations on you. They have spent so much time, money, and energy to get you to this good life. For you to make lots of money, to find a prestigious job, to get a degree from an excellent university so you can be successful. Maybe you have a, a parent who has been out of your life for most of your life and you have spent your whole life not even realizing that you want their approval even though they don't have any concern or care for you. And you're spending your life just going, hey mom, look at what I did. She goes, okay. Hey dad, I want to let you know I got in here. And they don't even respond to you. You just want them one moment, one time, one day to be proud. Is it friends? You're seeking to please them. And they'll think you're cool or fun or want to be around you. That Maybe you have experienced loneliness and isolation for too long. And so you say, I will be a chameleon in every single group I'm in so that I can please them. So they will be proud of me. They will be happy with me. They will choose me. Some of you live with this desire to please, this internal standard that you can't even figure out where it comes from. Nobody in your life has put the pressure on you that you put on yourself. And you can never make yourself happy. You're either disappointed when you don't measure up to some internal fake standard, or you just met the grade that you expect. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have that internal standard. I've learned that because over the last two years I've tried to get healthier. Don't feel real healthy right now, but I'm trying to get healthier. But what I learned is I don't have any internal drive. So I would run. I'm not a runner. I'm pretty terrible at running. I'm super slow. Ten-minute mile is my goal. Um, Zach, you would lap me um, on that journey. But I, what I learned is I'd be like, all right, just get to that mailbox. But if I got too tired to get to that mailbox, I'd just stop. Like, like, I get on the treadmill, and I'm like, all right, I'm at, I'm at 8 minutes and 30 seconds. Get to 10, and then like 9.15, I'm like pressing the stop button. I'm like, all right, we, we got someone. I get down, and I, I do machines, not free weights, because I'm a little intimidated by the free weights over at Planet Fitness. So I hop on the machines that Carlin taught me to use. And uh, so we're really working on these things. And, you know, I get all the lady machines. And uh, so uh, I get on those, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do 10 reps. And at like six, I'm like dying because I'm like, I want to go 20 below what she does, like in more weight, you know, and all this. And I, I try to do it, and at six, if I'm exhausted, I'm just like, eight's enough. We'll just call it a day. We were going to do three sets, but two will work. And uh, I don't have an internal standard. Some of you are driven internally so well. I want you to know that's really scary. And here's the deal. It's been one of the things you've been praised for for the last 19 years. It's one of the things that others like about you. But it's also creating an unfair and unlivable desire. See, I, I'm driven externally. That's why I compete in everything. That's why 
Hanny and I just talk crap about football the whole time, right? Like, no, I can do this. I can beat you in this, whatever, right? Like, it, I'm driven by an external, but some of you have this internal drive and standard that is so not fair. And you're trying to please something you can't even define. Some of you are driven by what an older sibling did, what a mentor is expecting of you, what everybody else is thinking you should do. Some of you are driven by a grad school or a hiring team going, I want to please them. So what do you do? You spend every moment of every day consumed with, will this look good? Will this make me hireable? Will this set me apart? Will this get me approved? Who you want to please dictates how you live, students. Who you want to please dictates how you live. Jesus' aim was to please God. What is your aim? What if your aim became to please God? What if you spend every moment of every day consumed with, will God be pleased by this? What do you think it will really cost you? Do you think your parents would be disappointed? Do you think that you would be abandoned without a job? Do you think that you wouldn't be able to sustain a life where you could be fed and eat and drink and have clothes? What if if we spent our life pleasing God that also our parents would be pleased, our employers would be pleased, that those around us would be pleased? Paul picks up on this, Colossians 1. He's given the, uh, in his prayer and encouragement, he's given them an instruction to the Colossians. Colossians 1 is probably my favorite chapter of the Bible. That or Ephesians 2. They're both really, really good. So read both of them. But it says this, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How? Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy, pleasing to him, bearing fruit. So how do we live a life that pleases God? That is our aim. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Very similar word there to pleasing. This is how you worship. Submitting yourself as a living sacrifice. This is acceptable. It would be pleasing to God. What are some other ways? 1 Timothy 2. He's saying this. Paul is writing to his one, the guy that he is mentoring. He says this, First of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. I'm going to pause there. He's saying, hey, care about those that live around you. Pray for those that lead you. Be think, thankful for the ways that God has taken care of you. Uh, I'll, Pray and hope that they understand who he is and how he has changed your life and can change theirs. And then what does he say? End of verse 2. That we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified. Why? Verse 3. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. What is that? A peaceful, a quiet, a godly, and dignified life. Most of you... We'll go and live in the suburbs, like we said a couple weeks ago, with your two and a half children and your spouse and making a decent income and driving a, a gas-guzzling SUV and 
All those good things. But you can still please God as you live godly and dignified and peaceful. A lot of you struggle with pride. Look at me. Look what I can do. I'm smarter. I'm better. I'm faster. I can, I'm more able than them. You know what? God's not pleased by pride. He's pleased by humility. We see in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon takes over the role of his father, David. He steps in as a child king and he says to God, when God says in verse 3, Hey, what do you want? What can I do for you? Solomon goes through this long thing in verses 7 through 9 that's saying, Hey, I'm too young to do this. The people are too great. The burden is too much. I don't know what to do. Verse 9, give your servant understanding an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern good and evil. Will you give me wisdom, God? He's humbly asking, I can't do this. There were a lot of times today we were picking up boards and having to put them on this thing. I'd say, Elizabeth, I can't reach that, all right? I need you to get this for me. Yeah, I'm a 32-year-old man asking a 21-year-old girl to do something I cannot do. It's not the most fun thing. Uh, but there's an understanding that we have to be humble enough to say, God, I can't. But you can. And what does it say in verse 10? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And if you know the story of Solomon, when Solomon seeks the first things, when he is seeking God and his will, you know what happens? All these things are added to him. He becomes the richest man, the wisest man. He has these great palaces and all of this. First Thessalonians 4, I'm just going through these quickly. There's so many to do, but I just want to bring up a few. So humility, a godly, dignified life, a life that's a living sacrifice. Purity comes into that. Did you know your purity pleases God? First Thessalonians 4. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica before, and finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and how to please God, just as you're doing, do so more and more. Remember, we gave you some instructions of godly life, and then he says, I want to bring one up in particular. He says in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. How we handle the pleasures that God allows for matter. And God says, here's the context in which sex is supposed to be used. And any other time is inappropriate and isn't displeasing to me. So how do we please God when we live out purity and experience His pleasures in the play, in the context in which he created it for. Speaking of purity, then repentance also pleases God. Psalm 51, we see this. Verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or would, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit and a contrite and broken heart. This you will not despise. Last one, and let me wrap up with this. Matthew 6. How do we please God? Verse 6 starts with, What shall I do? What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him uh, with a burnt offering with a calf a year old? Will he be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oils? Shall I give him my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What would please God? 
well, what can I do to please him? Because I know that I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I've messed up too much. What does Michael land in? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Living out the way of God in the world that, in the world where God has placed you is pleasing to him. This isn't some mystery mysterious list of rules, but is living godliness out. Justice, kindness, humility. It's loving neighbor, loving uh, God. It's caring for others. It's meeting needs. That is just a quick, I've got a whole list of like 30 different verses that where it shows us how God is pleased. So I'm going to end with one quick way of how God is displeased, and then we're going to finish with an illustration. And that's it for me for the weekend. So how is God displeased? Last night we talked about fear. And in the parable of the talents, if you remember that, there was a guy who was given, there were three different servants. One's given five talents, one given two talents, and one's given one talent. This is all in Matthew 25 if you ever want to see it. The guy that's given five talents goes and works and makes five more talents. And when the master shows back up after a long while, he says, hey, master, here's ten talents. Well done. Great job. The guy that was given two talents goes and works and turns two talents into four talents. And he comes back and he says, here you go, master. And the master says, well done. The guy that was given one talent, he goes and buries his talent. He says in verse 24, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you uh, scattered no seed. I was afraid of you. I feared you. So I went and I hid the talent in the ground. And so here it is. Here's what's yours. And you know what happens in verse 26 of Matthew 25. But the master answered to him, you wicked and slothful servant. What did he do wrong? He was so afraid of his master, so afraid of messing up, so afraid of losing what was given to him, so afraid that he was never able to risk anything because he was terrified of what would happen. How many of us live in fear and is robbing us of living out in faith. We live in such fear of God. So consumed with did I sin or not sin today. As opposed to did I please God or not please God today. See he feared to risk. And how many of us fear any risks at all? Remember Hebrews 11.5? It is impossible to please God without faith. Jesus calls this man wicked. J.D. Greer is a strong statement. I'm still wrestling through a little bit of it. He says, Jesus to Jesus is just as wicked to not risk our lives to the fullest potential as it is for us to commit an egregious violation against God. There's sins that we do but the ones we don't think about are the sins that we leave undone. Or the things that we've left undone. So I want to end with this. I read a few weeks ago. It's really great. So I'm going to share this with you. 
John Piper, before he really was well, well known, uh, John Piper's now just a speaker and a writer. Um, really good stuff, challenging stuff. Be ready to be convicted and challenged when you open anything by him. He was preaching in an outdoor amphitheater, and this, um, it was to college students, and when he was doing this, he was kind of struggling, to be honest. I've watched the video. It's windy, there's crowds, people are going to the bathroom constantly, it's this outdoor amphitheater, it's just kind of chaos, to be completely honest. He's gotten up there to start preaching, and as he is going, the wind blows his papers off his podium, and he's kind of just standing there. And then he said, I want to tell you guys a story. And he goes and he tells them a story. He says, there's two women from our church that were sent out many, many years ago. They were both nurses and unmarried. They were sent out, and they went to Cameroon to be life-loving, to be missionaries, using their skills as a nurse to then serve the people there as they shared with them the gospel. And he says, we got word about a month ago that those two women were driving their car in the mountains of Cameroon or some kind of hills of Cameroon. And as they did, they were going down a hill, and around a turn it's when their brakes gave out. And they could not slow down and make the turn. And instead of turning along the road, they went flying over the cliff. And according to authorities, they died on impact. And he said, I had a person in my church come up to me and ask, is this a tragedy? Piper said, no, it's a glory. And then he said, you want me to tell you what a tragedy is? And he opened up, you're not going to understand what this is, a Reader's Digest, all right? So it's like this old school magazine that just tells like little stories about people. It's like a grown-up's highlights. I don't know if y'all know what highlights is. Okay. Uh, so he opened it up, and he said, he started telling a story. He said, pa, uh, what are their names? Bob and Penny took early retirement in their late 50s. They moved from the Northeast where they had busy 9 to 5 Wall Street jobs or whatever down to Florida in their late 50s to retire. Now Bob and Penny spend every day on their 30-foot yacht cruising around in the ocean. They play softball in the evenings with friends. And every morning they walk along the seashore picking up seashells. He said, that is a tragedy. Because in the last uh, 20, 30 years of their life, they turned all of their focus simply to what will make them happy. How can I have more and more and more cake? How can I just focus solely on me? Piper says that we have bought into the American dream that spends our last quarter of our life focused on ourselves and on seashells. And then he says, what are they going to do when they stand before Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, tell me about the last 20 years of your life. Well, when I was in my 20s, I went to retreats. When I was 30, I raised my child up in the way he should go, and we were a part of the church, and I taught some Sunday school. In my 40s, I became a giver, and then in my late 50s, we retired, and we've been just enjoying life. Hey, do you want to see my seashell collection? This was a sand dollar Penny found a couple weeks back. He said, that's a tragedy. My question for us is how many of us are chasing after a tragedy? How many of us, the goal of our life 
is if we thought about it and sat and really considered it, are pursuing a tragedy. How many of us are living a life in a way that is trying to bring glory to God at every step along the way, trying to please Him with everything that we do? He ended with four words. You've heard these. Don't waste your life. How many of us are pursuing a life that from a theological and God-honoring perspective would be a waste, but from a cultural perspective would be the goal? Students, I want you to ask that question every day. I want you to ask that question after every event you do. Am I pleasing God? Or am I pleasing myself? 